All right, well, we're in a series in the book of Ecclesiastes, and if there is a book in the Bible that is a, that's more secular, Ecclesiastes would be that book. Because uh, this is writ- written from the perspective of King Solomon, and King Solomon, his project is to look at life without respect to God. Look at life under the sun. Uh, he has a perspective on life minus the perspective of God. Sort of like John Lennon. He wants to imagine there's no heaven, no hell, no eternity, just this life living for today. And his quest is, is there meaning in life under the sun? Is, is there a way to find satisfaction in this life minus the perspective of God? That's the search he's on. And uh, last week, Solomon talked about his search for wisdom. So one of the places that he looked for fulfillment was in uh, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, the quest for learning. And he concluded that that is vanity. Now, if you were here last week, and maybe you didn't relate to the quest for learning, maybe you're not a scholar, uh, and you didn't relate to Solomon's desire to know and to understand and to grow in knowledge and wisdom, um, I think today you might relate a little bit more to his quest. Because today, uh, the quest that Solomon is on is he's going to search for meaning in the experience of earthly pleasure. Can I get an amen? Anybody with Solomon here? Uh, Because we are Americans, and Americans know something about the pursuit of pleasure. Uh, Americans know something about the desire to experience creature comforts. I was reading a book uh, this past week called Affluenza by... um, a sociologist named John DeGraff. And he was talking about uh, the uh, Americans and, and how uh, even over time, uh, the affluence has grown in our country and, and our desire to experience the good life and our ability to experience the good life has grown and grown and grown. He says, actually, he says, if you look prior to 1986, there were more high schools than there were shopping centers in America. But he says, after 1986, there are twice as many shopping centers as there are high schools, right? So we are are growing and growing in our desire and our ability to consume. And, uh, you know, six years ago when I came into Batesville, one of the things that shocked me about living here is, uh, you know, we we drove through the city and and Anita was like, where's the target? Where's the Target? And there was no Target. Where's the shopping mall? There's no shopping mall. J. Crew, uh, The Gap, Whole Foods, nothing. That We were shocked by, by how there was just hardly any uh, places to shop here. And so we were down at Little Rock every single weekend, you know, in, you know getting our, our fix, you know. But, but after a while, Anita started to say, you know, Brent, there's something that I like about there not being a shopping mall on every corner. She said, I am not bombarded with the latest fashion. I actually don't feel as bad about myself and, my, and the pants that I'm wearing, right? And so there's something, uh, you know, good about being in an environment where there's not so much con- consumption and shopping and ability to indulge in, uh, in pleasure. But we still can do it here in Batesville because there's recreation, there's, uh, you know, there's hiking, there's fishing, there's hunting, there's swimming, there's boating, there's still living for the weekend, we can still very much pursue pleasure here in Arkansas. It's just a different kind of pleasure. And there might be many of us who are on that 
pursuit. But here's what Solomon wants us to know. He wants us to know that the pursuit of pleasure is empty. And I think that, that probably most of us experience that on a visceral level. You know what I mean? You know, even with all of our ability to consume, even with all of our, uh, you know, a freedom to enjoy the pleasures of life, you know, even enshrined in our, in, in our constitution, you know, is the pursuit of happiness, we discover that pleasure is not the same as happiness. Right, there's an emptiness, there's even a sorrow in the midst of our abundance. Right, you can enjoy all the things this life has to offer and still feel strangely unsatisfied. Uh, there was a, a French philosopher and, and thinker, historian, his name was Alexis de Tocqueville, and uh, way back in the 1830s, uh, he came to America right when America was uh, exploding, you know, and growing in, uh, in, in affluence, and uh, he, he came over, and one of the observations he made of our country, he said, he said, there's a strange melancholy that ha- haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. So right in the midst of our abundance, right, even in all of our enjoyment of, of pleasure, there's a strange melancholy. And some of you might have experienced that uh, in your abundance. Or as the great philosopher Sheryl Crow uh, has said, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy, then why the blank are you so sad? So what accounts for that? What accounts for the fact that even in the midst of our abundance, even in, the, our, in all of our ability to enjoy all that this life has to offer, there's a melancholy, there's a dissatisfaction, Right, there's a sense of emptiness in, in the midst of our abundance. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at today in Solomon's quest for pleasure and his, his quest to experience the pleasures of this life. We're going to try to answer that question. What accounts for the emptiness and the pursuit of pleasure? We're going to see three things today. Uh, number one, we're going to see uh, the, the experiment that Solomon is on, his pleasure experiment. We're going to examine that. And then we're going to look at the problem with his pleasure experiment. Where does it go wrong? And then finally, we're going to look at the answer, the solution to the pleasure experiment. And so first, let's look at Solomon's experiment. And uh, this is fascinating. So Solomon says in chapter 2, verse 1 of Ecclesiastes, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with, with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Right, so this is a test. This is only a test. Uh, what Solomon is doing here is he is, he's performing an experiment here with pleasure. And he's looking at pleasure and he's saying, okay, pleasure, I'm going to test you. All right, uh, enjoyments of this life, I'm going to put you to the test and I'm going to see if, if my experience of you will bring me satisfaction. If my experience of pleasure is going to find, is going to bring me fulfillment. All right, so this is the experiment that he's on. And look at it almost as a journal entry. Right, so Solomon here, he's experiencing this pleasure and he's writing a journal entry about it. Like, think about, this is the journal entry about the hedonistic years. And Solomon really throws himself into the task. This is full throttle uh, pleasure-seeking, right? And so Solomon wants to indulge. He, want, he says, I kept from my heart no pleasure. Right? I'm going to give myself to everything I possibly can to bring me, to bring me pleasure in this life. And so uh, he talks about uh, laughter, wine, great works, possessions, silver, gold, treasure, singers, concubines. He's trying to find happiness here. 
but he doesn't quite find it. And so let's go through the list. He says, first, uh, I want to test you, pleasure. I'm going to try to enjoy myself. And then he says, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? And so he starts with laughter. He starts with comedy. And picture Solomon, you know, he's a king, and so imagine he's inviting court jesters into his court, the, the best comedians that the empire has to offer. And he says, entertain me. Make me laugh. And he says, yet I still found that empty. Or one commentary I read this week, he said that uh, when, when you look at comedians, he says, if you look at the autobiography of comedians, he says so often, he said most often, you find that they're trying to mask an inner sadness with their laughter, right? Think about Robin Williams, right? There's a, de- there's a, there's a melancholy that they're trying to mask with the comedy, so Solomon is inviting the court jesters, the comedians, into his court. Think about nowadays a person who, who goes uh, through Netflix episode after Netflix episode, you know, The Office, right? And then they move to Parks and Recreation, uh, and then maybe 30 Rock, and they're trying to entertain themselves, right, to find the next funniest thing. And yet Solomon says, um, all the laughter um, left me empty. Even though sometimes laughter can be medication, uh, if you're looking for satisfaction in laughter, it, it, it leaves you empty. And so I sa- he says, I tried laughter. And then he goes on. He says in verse 3, I searched with my heart to cheer my body with wine. Right? And so he, he, he talks about wine and strong drink. Um, so he's filling his, uh, his uh, wineries with uh, bottles of wine. Uh, his, cell- his wine cellar is full with, with um, uh, great um, uh, seasoned wine. And, and wine here is a representative of any pleasure, pleasure agent. So any sort of kick or buzz we can get from pleasure. So think about not just alcohol here, but any pleasure in this life. Uh, you know, think about shopping or Netflix or food or, or weekend football or new iPhones. Right, he says, it gave me a buzz for a little while, but even that, that, that wine or strong drink or that pleasure agent left me empty. Because over time, and you all know this, uh, you know, if you've ever had an issue with uh, alcohol addiction, um, over time, you have to take larger doses to get the same effect, right? There's a tolerance factor with these things. You need more and more uh, in order to experience the same buzz, the same pleasure. Solomon says, I tried it. I tried strong drink, and even that left me empty, right? Here's his experiment, experiment. and then he goes on, and he says, uh, down in verse, uh, still in verse three, he says, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom uh, how, and how to lay hold on folly until uh, I might see what was good for the children of men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And then he says in verse four, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools um, from which uh, to to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and slaves who were born in my house. And I also had great possessions of herds and flocks uh, uh, more than anyone who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and, and provinces, singers, both men and women. And so Solomon here next tries possessions, right? Uh, houses and vineyards and trees and flowers and, and, and all pools, he says. And I want you to notice that these are all in the plural. 
Um, so, so Solomon, uh, you know, it's not just he, like he built a, a great palace. It's palaces. Not just a great vineyard, but vineyards. And not just a pool, but pools. One commentator said it's almost like Solomon is trying to manufacture his own version of the Garden of Eden that was once lost to the human race. Just the opulence that Solomon lived in. Wondering if, if maybe possessions, an abundance of possessions would bring him pleasure in this life. Uh, whenever I go to the doctor, I always uh, pick up the Leisure magazine. Is it, what's it called? Leisure and... Um, hear what it's called, but you read through these magazines, and without fail, there's always some, uh, you know, celebrity, and they're touring the celebrity's house, and I always just begin to imagine what it would be like to live in a place like that, right? But Solomon didn't have to imagine, right? He had the best architects in the, in the whole world to uh, construct a beautiful, um, you know, architectural, uh, architecturally beautiful uh, palace, right, with clean lines and everything's in the right place. And then he had the best uh, designers, right, interior decorators to decorate the place. And then he had, you know, he had the best designers to, to design his own clothes. I mean, this guy lived in, in incredible opulence that most of us could hardly even dream about, right? Solomon was like the Bill Gates or the Jeff Bezos or the Warren Buffett of his time, and yet he says, all of this opulence, all of these things that I own left me empty. And then he says, I tried concubines and harems. Uh, he says, I had many concubines and many harems there in the verses. And, and, and in 1 Kings chapter 11, we get a picture of what he means by many, okay? So Solomon had 700 wives. And on top of that, he had 300 concubines, so Solomon made the infinite, infamous Playboy Mansion look like a monastery. He made Hugh Hefner look like Billy Graham. Right, ser seriously. I mean, this is the sort of uh, indulgence that Solomon was uh, giving himself to. And Solomon could do it. I mean, he had everything this life had to offer. He could go on an exhaustive search of all the pleasures of this life. And yet he said, all of it left me empty. Now, when you read this, and maybe you feel this way when you read this, uh, you almost picture uh, Solomon like, you know, just this self-indulgent, uh, you know, you think of Jerry Springer, you know, that's just debaucherous, you know, giving himself to just all this, these base pleasures. You think of almost like a college student at Lyon College, uh, some, you know, freedom from the par parents, I'm gonna indulge myself on all this life has to offer. And so there's binge drinking and pleasure and sex and drugs, and there was that with Solomon. But there, it's not just that. There, he, this is a higher, he's, he's engaging in even the higher forms of pleasure here. Right, think not only about Solomon getting smashed, but also buying art. Right, think about everything beautiful and wonderful that this life has to offer. Solomon is on the quest to engage not only in base hedonism, but also in the refined pleasures. So like, think about vacations and travel and fine foods. Think about literature and art and the theater. You know, some of you may not think, I'm not on Solomon's quest here. I'm not just after base pleasures in life. But think about, you know, it's not just that. It's sort of in, the best that life has to offer. Solomon's saying, look, at, listen, I'm going to give myself to these things. 
And yet even the best, even the refined pleasures of this life, Solomon says, is empty. So what's the problem here? So this is Solomon's quest. We've looked at it. And let's ask the question, what is, what, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with uh, just seeking pleasure in life? What is wrong with enjoying the finer things in life? What's wrong with wanting to live in a nicer neighborhood and enjoy, uh, you know, great wine and great food and great art and great literature and, and uh, you know, beautiful scenery? What is wrong with enjoying life the way Solomon did? It's a good question. And, there, and the answer is, on the surface, there's really nothing wrong with a quest for pleasure. There is nothing wrong with wanting to enjoy the best things in life. Do you remember the Dead, Dead Poet Society, that movie? And there's that one, the one he always, uh, Robin Williams is saying, carpe diem, he's, he's teaching the kids, carpe diem, which is live for today. And he uses the phrase, suck all the marrow out of this life. I don't know that the Bible would disagree with that sentiment. I don't know if the Bible would disagree with the idea that, that we can and even should enjoy the things that this life has to offer. Right, the Bible is not stoicism. Right, the Bible is not, is not about hedonism, but it's also not about stoicism. Right, where we are to deny ourselves any sort of pleasure in the world. Um, I, I think of the definite, some people think of Christianity this way. Um, somebody said that the definition of Puritanism is the haunting suspicion that somebody somewhere is having fun. <laughs> right? You've heard that before. Or maybe you remember that movie Chocolate uh, with uh, Johnny Depp? And uh, there's this uh, Johnny Depp, you know, moves in the town, and there's this, uh, this, this woman who uh, has opened a chocolate shop in this little small town. And everybody's enjoying the chocolate. Everybody's, it's wonderful chocolate, and she's a, an amazing cook, and everybody's loving it, except for the priest. <laughs> the priest is mad that people are having fun and enjoying themselves. And the priest is gaunt and he's thin and he wears a black robe and he just so, looks so miserable all the time. And, and he's not having fun. He doesn't want anybody else to have any fun. And so he wants to shut the chocolate store down. And some people think this is Christianity. Just wanting to shut down all the pleasures of this life. And this is not, l let me give you just a two-minute theology of pleasure. God created pleasure. Think about it. This is a Genesis chapter 2. God created everything in this world. And it says in verse, uh, Genesis 2 chapter 9, it says, And the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Right? God made everything in this world. Uh, the physical world is not bad, and pleasure is not bad, and God, bad, and God uh, declared everything that he made good. He says, it is good. And he gave us the ability to enjoy the world. He gave us taste buds. And he gave us, uh, you know, uh, the ability to experience sensory pleasure. And he wants us to experience the goodness of his creation. In fact, look at Jesus. What was Jesus' first miracle? He turned water into wine. He was at a party that was on a downswing, and he, and he, Put it back on the right track again. Somebody once said that Jesus was either going to a party, at a party, or leaving a party. Jesus liked to party. Uh, in the legitimate sense. Uh, they even called him a drunkard and a glutton. 
not because he truly was getting drunk or he was a glutton, but because uh, the religious people, you know, the people in the dark robes and, and the gaunt faces looked at him and said, he's enjoying this life too much. Right, Jesus was a man who knew how to laugh. And Paul the Apostle even, even Paul the Apostle says that God has given us everything in this life richly to enjoy. And so it glorifies God when we enjoy this life. And so go hunting, Jared. <laughs> uh, eat good food. Uh, who could, all of us. Um, enjoy this life. God created the physical world. Christianity is a sensory religion. And God is not against physical pleasure. And so what's wrong with Solomon's search here? What's wrong with it? What's the problem? I think, it's, I think it's because what's going on here is Solomon is taking good things in, the, in this life. He's taking uh, ch- pleasure and joy. And they're, they're good, they have relative good, and he's taking these good, these good things and he's giving them ultimate status. He's trying to get out of pleasure something that pleasure was never meant to give him. Right, Dead Poet Society says, suck the marrow out of this life. Solomon is trying to suck something out of pleasure that was never there in the first place. And what is it? Well, notice Solomon here, he's on, he's, this is an experiment, right? He's testing the pleasures of this life. He's saying, I'm going to test you, pleasure. I'm going to perform an experiment here. Will you give me satisfaction? I know, that, I know you'll give me joy. I know that you'll give me pleasure. But, but will you give me satisfaction and fulfillment? And pleasure always fails that test. Although pleasure can give us, you know, happiness for a season, it will never give us transcendence. So let's, let's look at Solomon's quest here. Uh, what, what happens when you make treasure, or treasure, pleasure, and ultimate good? Well, first of all, your life became, becomes incredibly self-centered, right? Imagine if that is your ultimate quest in life. I'm going to enjoy life. This is what I'm all about. Vacations, uh, Netflix, food, wine. If that is your ultimate quest, your life becomes an incredibly selfish quest. And look at, the, look at these verses here. How many times does Solon, Solomon mention the word myself? He says, I made great works and built houses and planted vineyards for myself, I made myself gardens and parks and planted them, all kinds of fruit trees, and I made myself pools. He says in verse 8, I gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. When your ultimate quest is pleasure, your life becomes incredibly inward and self-centered. It's all about gratifying self. And there's no fulfillment in that. You were not created. God did not create you to live for you. And when you do that, you will experience incredible boredom and futility, is Solomon's word, um, and emptiness. I think it was Walker Percy who said the definition of boredom is the self stuffed with itself. And when you go on a quest where it's living for the weekend, where it's living for that next pleasure, living for that next enjoyment, living for that next uh, gratification. This is the self stuffed with itself and you begin to feel nauseous. My son, uh, this past uh, summer, my sons and and my my family, we uh, went on a quest to enjoy all the pleasures of Arkansas. 
Usually we, we, usually we go home to California for the summer, but we were just like, we're going to just suck the marrow out of Arkansas. And so we went to lakes, and we went to uh, creeks, and we went to Memphis, which isn't in Arkansas, but still. Uh, <laughs> we went to Little Rock, and we ate, you know, Zaza's Pizza and uh, Lost 40 Brewery, and we, we just went on a quest to enjoy everything that life in Arkansas had to offer. And Samuel was bored. And so, like, the, we'd, be, we'd be doing one, something this weekend, and Samuel say, what are we going to do next weekend? Well, we're going to go to M- Memphis next weekend. And so we went down to Memphis, and there we were at, at Ikea, you know, in the zoo. And Samuel's like, I'm bored. What are we going to do next weekend? Oh, next weekend we're going to go to, uh, you know, uh, Pinnacle Mountain. Oh, okay, I can't wait for that. And he'd, and, he'd, and he'd anticipate and anticipate, but he was anticipating something that let him down. There was anticlimax with every new experience. Because if you live for yourself too long, you become bored. It's the self stuffed with the self. Pleasure does not fill you up and satisfy you. Notice it's also short-lived. So notice how frenetic this, this quest is that Solomon is on. I'm going to live for pleasure. I'm going to enjoy everything in this life. In this life. But ever, after one thing, he's on to the next thing. Then on to the next thing. And he's on this frenetic search. And it's almost like everything is just short-lived. It's like, okay, I've been there. I've done that. What's next? It's like it, the, the pleasure fades as soon as it comes. And he finds himself empty. And you might have experienced this. I remember when younger, when we, uh, when we first got married, we, uh, we moved from California to uh, Connecticut. And I remember uh, being so excited to live in, we were going to live in New Haven there. And uh, we, California, like nothing is older than like 1960, you know. <laughs> but Connecticut, there's just history. And we're thinking of New Haven and the cobblestone streets. And Yale University was there. And, and we were so excited to experience that. And so I remember driving into New Haven at night. You couldn't see anything. And we couldn't wait for the morning to explore the city. The next morning, we were up at 7 a.m. and the city didn't let down. It was beautiful. There was the town square. There was the historic buildings. There was the cobblestone streets. There was the gothic architecture of Yale University. Oh, it was so exciting. And I remember just walking around the first day. We didn't, get, we didn't see all of it. So the next day, we saw the rest of the city. And then for about a month, this, uh, it was exciting. And then it started to feel just like Long Beach, where I'm from. It just it faded so quickly. And Solomon says that's the way pleasure is in this life. Yeah, it's great for a little bit, but then it fades as soon as it comes, way sooner than it should. And then you're on to the next thing, and maybe this thing will give me satisfaction, but then that is so short-lived. And then it's I'm bored, what's next? You see, the, the satisfaction and the pleasure, it, was, it left Solomon empty. Which, which is ultimately the problem with these, with uh, making pleasure your ultimate cl- quest, is that things and pleasure and enjoyment, although it's great, it is not big enough to fill your soul. You see, you were, here's what the Bible knows about you. Your soul is an incredibly thirsty thing. It is very, very, very big. You were made in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. And God made you for himself. 
And there is no pleasure in this life that is big enough to fail, fail, fill your soul. Imagine if somebody gave you the task of making the Grand Canyon into a big lake. In order to do that, they gave you a squirt gun, a hose, and a bucket. And they said, go at it. And so you go to that task and you, and you squirt that first little, you know, mist of water over the Grand Canyon and it, and it dissolves before it even hits the bottom. This is what it's like trying to use pleasure to fill your soul. It's like f- trying to fill the Grand Canyon with water. The human soul is a very, very, very big thing. And although wine and travel and the weekend is wonderful, none of these things is big enough to fill your soul. And so Solomon says, here's the problem, here's my conclusion. I went on this search for pleasure and it left me empty. Now I think that, uh, you know, many of us, I don't think that any of us here would say, we are trying to find fulfillment in shopping (laughs) or Netflix or the weekend. You wouldn't overtly say that. I mean, Solomon here is very self-conscious. This is what I'm trying to do. I am trying to replace God with pleasure. None of us would say that, but I think many of us get intoxicated. And you begin to subtly believe that maybe this weekend is going to do it for me. Or maybe this vacation is going to fill me. Or maybe this night out on the town is going to do it. And Solomon says, wake up! Wake up, none of these things are big enough to satisfy your soul. The human soul is a very, very, very big thing. And so Solomon points us forward. What does he point us to? He says, listen, here's the answer. Again, here's the conclusion of the matter. There is nothing in this life that will satisfy you. But this doesn't mean that you should give up on your search for pleasure. Solomon isn't saying, well, just forget about pleasure then. He's saying, listen, there is a different kind of pleasure that can satisfy you. And it's the pleasure that's found in a relationship with God, your creator. God is the only one big enough to fill your soul. So there's a spiritual pleasure. There's a desire for fulfillment that, that a connection with God, a relationship with God can fill. And so Isaiah, Isaiah 55, verse 2, as Isaiah gets up and he says to the people of Israel, he says, why do you spend your money for, things which are, which is not, for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Later on, Jesus would, would stand up in front of uh, the people of Israel, and he would say this. He, he was, you know, it was after he fed the 5,000 with uh, food, you know, another meal, another party. You know, Jesus is giving it to him. But people started to follow Jesus because of the bread, because of the, the party. And Jesus, at one point, echoes this verse from Isaiah and says, why do you labor for that which doesn't satisfy you? He says, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. I am the nourishment that you need. Of the satisfaction and the fulfillment that you need is only found in God through a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus makes that possible the night before uh, Jesus was uh, crucified. Do you remember he sat at the table 
with all of his disciples, and he broke the bread, and he says, this is my body broken for you. Do you notice that bread always has to be broken before it can satisfy you? Jesus Christ, the bread of life, was broken so that he could satisfy your soul. And so now he says, I want you to give yourself, not to pleasures in this life, but give yourself to me. The bread of life, the living water. Jesus Christ is the one who will satisfy your soul. And as long as you are on a quest for pleasure, and you are looking for pleasure to, to, pleasure to satisfy you, you will always feel empty. Here's the paradox of, of, this, of this thing is that so often uh, you could have everything in this life. You could have all the pleasures in this life, but if you don't have Jesus, you feel like Solomon, strangely empty. But you could also have nothing in this life, and yet nothing with Jesus is more than any, everything and anything without him. I had a picture in my mind as, as I was studying for the sermon, and one was of King Solomon in his, all of his opulence, in his palace and his, with all of his concubines and all of his wine and food and, and parties, and yet here he is feeling incredibly empty. And then in my mind's eye, I had another picture, and it was of Paul the Apostle sitting in a prison cell with absolutely nothing. He's, he's there chained up, he's drinking just barely enough food and water to survive, and yet Paul says, I am absolutely content. Paul with nothing has more than Solomon with everything because he has a relationship with Jesus Christ, the bread of life, the one who can satisfy his soul. So let me give you an application today before we're done. Um, I don't know if you guys are in the habit of reading your Bible on a daily basis or spending time with God, but I've noticed that if I neglect my relationship with God, I begin to feel empty really quick. And maybe this week, instead of, you know, hitting your snooze and getting an extra hour of sleep, or maybe instead of watching another episode of The Office on Netflix, maybe crack open your Bible and seek the fullness and the fulfillment and the satisfaction that is found in Christ. And then once you are full, once you feel satisfied, then go enjoy this life. Have a party. Go on a vacation. Enjoy the things in this life, but do not look for satisfaction in them because satisfaction is only found in a relationship with your creator. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of, of satisfaction, Lord. You, you created us uh, with a huge uh, need for, for full, fullness and satisfaction, and, and God, you yourself um, are meant to satisfy that need. And Lord, I pray for those of us today who may, uh, at the end of this week, um, have the conclusion, feel, you know, make the conclusion that we are empty, that we've spent our lives with pleasure and, and food and all sorts of things, uh, and yet, God, we've neglected you. We've neglected the bread of life. And so we pray, God, this week that we would draw our sustenance from you. God, that we would suck the marrow out of, out of the life that you have to, to offer us. Uh, in you, uh, knowing you, trusting you, uh, fellowshipping with you, God. And I pray that you would fill us up. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.